Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Loops and Life Cycles Podcast with Josh Mason. When you hear a new idea, do you wonder, can I put this into practice and what I'm doing? Join Josh Mason and guests as they dig into concepts from multiple disciplines to find ways to improve our business, our security, and our lives. Enjoy this episode and remember that knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome to this episode of Loops and Life Cycles. Today I have with me Matthew Pinot, who has quite an extensive background. We're going to talk about training, education, and how we can improve ourselves and our business by continually looking for those spaces for growth. The beginning of this conversation is actually going to be on Matthew's podcast, which is Wide Walls, and I will have a link to that in the description below. What you are hearing is the second half of our conversation. And if you enjoy it, please uh, reach out and go check out the first half of the conversation on Wide Walls. Matthew, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Let the listeners know your background, what you're up to now. Yeah, sure. So my name is Matthew Puno. I live in San Francisco. I'm born and raised in France. And I'm currently a product manager for the edtech company called IXL Learning. Um, and I'm someone who's really passionate about learning, especially like hands-on learning and creative learning. That's the field I've worked in for the past eight years. Spent like three years in, in Singapore developing an app to help young children learn science through hands-on activities and doing a lot of workshops and camps and activities with kids around making and learning. Before that, I was an engineer, so that's, that was my first degree as an industrial product designer. Didn't do much of that, mostly doing stuff with cardboard and paper after that with kids. But that gave me a good like frame, framework and a, a good baseline for a lot of things afterwards. Yeah, I'm very passionate about education in general and super excited to talk about all these topics with you. So I'm spending a lot of time building out labs and some on-demand material. You are building some training, like educational software. Mm-hmm. How do you think we could try to apply that, getting that emotion, getting that interest, getting that storytelling into this in impersonal mm. sort of education. Yeah, that, that's a big question. That's really hard, especially when you work on a software at a certain scale. Like mine is a, is a very large scale software that's used by literally millions of students. And so yeah. it's really hard to personalize. And I think so obviously the first thing you do is to turn to motivation so more like badges levels leaderboards those kind of things which mm. work to a certain level it does yeah. create a little bit of motivation and and it does help but it's definitely not going to create much like emotional attachment to the learning itself because it doesn't matter what you're yeah. learning it could be one subject or another because what you're interested in is that reward not so much how you get there so the Ooh. question of like how do you yeah. make that like the journey interesting is much harder i'm i have big hopes with generative AI that it mm-hmm. could provide like reframe the problems you're working on the whatever you're working on in that specific tool that you're creating basically reframe 
the problems in the experience to be more personal by knowing certain things about you, by knowing certain things you're interested sure. in and be able to, and we're back to that story element, right? Be able to build a little mm-hmm. story that is going to be only for yeah. you. And, and generative AI is able to do that in ways that are in like normal language, in like human language that is understandable by, by anyone. Sure. Is it easy to do? It's Would hard. you worry about <laughs> privacy in a situation There's like that? There's definitely a lot. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of elements that are tricky with that. You don't control the output, so you don't really know what's... Yeah. You're not sure 100% what's going to come out of it, so that's tricky. You need to be careful with what kind of information thinking, you collect as well, for sure. Yeah. There's a way, I think, of making it repeatable and while and personal and interactive. I, I think of Skyrim and the Fallout game, Dead Redemption. These games where you've got NPCs that interact mm-hmm. with you based off of your actions, and that's it's very hasn't employed generative AI yet. Mm. But if you could have that sort of thing for your player character in this educational software, where maybe it's you've given your character you give your character a name that's not necessarily you, but now you've taken that on, mm. and then it can interact with you in that way where it feels personal without getting actually personal and your facts, your information, information about you in this pretend world. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That makes sense. That's, I like that. It makes me think back on the, I mean, not back, just make me think of the, the assistant that Khan Academy created with generative AI, Khan Migo. I don't know if you like Mm -hmm. heard of it, like seen some of it, but they've been doing some amazing like groundwork on like using generative ai to create a that teaching assistance that's personalized to children and the part i was most excited about for that is the creating a thought partner for creative writing and i relate a little bit to that so you don't you're not like necessarily immerse into a game or like something more immersive like this which would be like ideal actually games are such an amazing way to to teach by the way it's like a such a powerful tool for learning that's probably not used enough for it, but that's another big. But basically, the idea is that it gave you like that thought partner that does not need to know mm-hmm. things about you, but can bounce back on what you say and suggest ideas, yeah. build on your ideas, push you to like come up with new ideas and things you want to write about. And in the mm-hmm. end, it becomes personal because it's only going to be the result of that conversation that you have with that. AI tool, yeah. so it's going to be different for everybody. Uh, and eventually, it's going to make you move forward with your writing. And by doing that, mm-hmm. definitely, like you're going to learn. We've talked about creative writing in particular. It's definitely going to help you get better at it. So that's something that I find very exciting. And I wonder how applicable it is to other subjects as well. Yeah, I think it can be if you're willing to take the time to make it. That's it's been one of my takeaways over the past several years is so many of these things cross over. Mm-hmm. What you're describing, looking at this process and seeing how we can improve it, is that not the six sigma way? <laughs> Just process improvement. Mm-hmm. I you're doing project management on like software development, right? Yeah. So I imagine there's sprints yeah. and there's cycles. Yeah. In that same way there's gonna be either features or bugs that are gonna be worked on during that sprint mm-hmm. and that's an outcome that you're working towards based off of what's been in the past. If we can take the same idea, could we gamify how we do that process? Rather than using these features for education, could we use the same 
same idea what we're talking about in gamifying the training and the education. Mm-hmm. Can we gamify just work, mm-hmm. oh. building the gamifying? I know, for sure. And Ways, yeah. Is there a way of doing that, that doesn't, you don't have to go so far out there that you have to build the whole thing, mm. but is there a way of implementing it in just the way? Mm. I think earlier we you talked about trying to employ certain things in a classroom and trying to employ that gamification or that play, the hero's journey, mm-hmm. that arc and storytelling. You can't necessarily do it in every lesson. And I don't know that we would want to do it in every single meeting yeah. or every single sprint. But is there something that we could take from that? Is there a core element of that? First principles, if you will. Mm-hmm. The reason why that works that we could take with us? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't really have an answer to that, but that, I'm sure it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I don't either. <laughs> I'm sure it's possible. <laughs> and... Yeah, the, the, maybe it's going on a tangent instead of three before with that question, but I, it makes me think. This yeah, is what I do. <laughs> makes me think of the social aspect of it as well, because in that the social aspect is so very important to to get someone engaged, whether it's at work or or at mm-hmm. school or like learning. And so I think when we talk about gamification, like we think of those immediately, we think of those badges and things stuff like that, and then we can think of yeah, like badges, what, yeah, points, then like levels. the idea of like more of a, some form of like story or narrative that's like leveling up the gamification for sure and i think maybe there's definitely an element on the social aspect of it that that can be very useful i know like in companies like in my company or like other companies i've seen there's the the certain concepts of like giving tacos to people who, <laughs> who did something great for you and and at the end yeah. whoever gets the most tacos gets like a, some form of reward, like a bottle of champagne or something. Like it's some kind of like social yeah. element to it that makes you want to like work with others and also work better and collaborate more. And so yeah. there's a form of gamification Ooh. there, I think, in building yeah. up and, and encouraging the social interactions within work. Man. And I, <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I, sorry, my, my brain goes all over the place. It makes these weird connections. I recently saw a, a video of an old Budweiser commercial. It's in an office and someone swears and they're like, put a dollar in the swear jar. And they're like, what are we going to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> so now everyone's like swearing <laughs> so they can put money in there. And at the end, it's like an all call and everyone's holding a beer. I love and that. Like the boss is like giving this great speech and everyone is interested. Yeah. He just keeps swearing. So then putting more do- money in there. But this idea, it pulled people together. Mm. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the tacos the like props the golden like stickers mm. like stars if you make it be like a weird thing that's not gonna work but if you can find something that the office that the team is interested in that's like a little bit of playful mm. that takes away that tension that makes it a little more comfortable that makes it personal yeah. more personal yeah. than that creates of community right you want to create a sense of community yeah yeah we don't want people to take unnecessary steps in their programming and create more technical debt and bugs. Mm. But we do want them to care mm. about their coding. And yeah, could we throw out some kudos, some points for folks who are doing a great job? Yeah. Example of the coins is very interesting because it makes me think of something that I saw in a culture which museum it was. Maybe it was the Exploratorium in San Francisco or another museum. But I found it like so mm. brilliant. Basically, you had three like big jars where you could put a dollar or something like this 
But basically, yeah. the rule was so it was something around climate change, and it was like those are like three measures we can do. You can only give one dollar. Which one you're gonna give it huh? to? And so Ooh. that forces you because you're like, oh, like I want to make sure I give it to the right place. And so that forces you to like only got so many read resources. Yeah. what it is about, think what would make the most impact, engage with the content, and then eventually like you put it somewhere. But you know, it, it yeah. we that's huge yeah. for a museum yeah. because you could bring all these ideas and then really applying like what can we take? From yeah, this? and it goes back to seen all these displays mm -hmm. you've thought of all this stuff now you've actually got to interact with exactly. it exactly like where would you put and it goes back to stakes right like suddenly there's something yeah. at stake even if it's as small as a dollar there's something at stake like you have to make the right decision yeah so that i, I found this like brilliant simple and brilliant yeah have you do you know who mark rober is oh, yeah the former nasa and youtuber yeah. he's got Love his ted guy. talk on the the Mario effect. I've not watched it. I gamification. Watch it. Yeah, I watch all these YouTube videos, and it I is. encourage everybody to watch his YouTube videos. Start with the squirrel one, and <laughs> you, you're gonna love it. Yeah, it's highly addicting. I I like that even in those videos, he tries to find a nugget. Ah, oh, yeah. Away. The learning now. It's this exactly. I, right? I know precisely <laughs> what squirrel do when they jump and fall. I know that they jump, the first thing they do is like oriented, orient their head towards the ground to see where they're gonna land. Then turn yeah. the body to, I, I remember that precisely. And that's because the video was so mm -hmm. fun and engaging. And I was like, why would I know that? But and the, because he brought it in right? yeah. And like the crazy takeaways from that, is it entertaining? Yes, but like, squirrels, there's this video Mark Robert does people might not know what we're talking about uh, he's a former nasa engineer he's got a youtube channel and during the pandemic he was at home bored and he noticed the squirrels in his backyard and so he made an obstacle mm -hmm. course for squirrels and videotaped it over several months and it's a great piece of youtube it's a good way to waste a half hour and in the end yeah you'll learn about some squirrel anatomy and how they work but also like the watching the squirrels in there and how they interact mm. and how they problem solve as they're going yeah. through. Ooh, what do we do? Like, how do, how could we set up scenarios like this in order to train to an objective? Mm -hmm. And then also we can get real meta. There were things that Mark set up hoping the squirrels would act a certain way or do something funny. And then they did something totally different. Mm. It was like, whoa, was not expecting that. How often do we run into that? training yeah. in education oh, yeah all the time you have a certain goal and then you throw this thing out there and all of a sudden the takeaway was now yeah. and show the practice of reflection which i love too because when specifically in yeah in his videos again for me it's one of the most perfect examples like a great way to teach things there's he always shows things that don't work and shows the reflection behind like why it didn't work and how it's actually fun that it didn't work and fun that we yeah. need to find another way to make it work and then go through that process of, okay, how can we do it in a different way, do it better, which is so yes. important. And you know, it's like that whole like, practice and process. Failure isn't, yeah, it doesn't stop. No. It's a step towards doing things yeah, better. Yeah, failure is what makes enduring interesting, among other things, because that's where you have to scratch your head and come up with some innovative solutions to solve the challenge. We got a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, which I know is like old news now, but 
with our kids and my easy addiction to video <laughs> games is I, I remember getting a Super Nintendo when I was their age, and that was the new stuff. So we finally got one. My daughters love one of these Zelda games where it's like from the top. They don't like actually playing other than like in the safe space in the village because hmm. they're worried about getting hit by one of the bad guys and like losing their hearts. And I've shown them like worst case scenario, like a little screen comes up, you hit continue and it pops you right back to where you were. <laughs> like nothing bad is going to happen, but they're so scared of that failure. You gotta have that to learn how to and It's one of those where, do I want them to get good at the game? I really don't care. I don't want to watch that process. Mm. Yeah. Like trying the thing and being like, oh, <laughs> now I want to try it again. <laughs> That's my favorite part of watching games. Yeah. <laughs> is when you can see that worked out across their face. Mm. You've done a lot of workshops. Have you seen things along those lines? Kids like struggling and then hitting that Eureka. Oh, for it? sure. Uh, especially when working on all those like hands on projects. Once they have a goal in mind, an objective that they want to achieve, like, oh, I want to build that robot, I want to make that thing move a certain way like once they have that in mind mm -hmm. they will go through so many like so much effort to get there and yeah the older they get the less like willing they are to like just try and see how it goes there's gonna be a little more anxiety yeah. more like planning and let's make sure everything's aligned properly before i try when they younger is just yeah. oh let's put it that way boom oh that doesn't work okay let's let's just remove that i'll try again and they go through the cycles like much faster because they're less worried. Again, that's a generalization. You're going to have some kids that are going to be very yeah, well, like, particular and all, but you tend to like when you get older. Yeah. Less, yeah. What do you think is behind that? Do you think it's a societal like not wanting to fail or is it like not wanting to look like a failure in front of peers or can we, tr do we train mm. kids or maybe does society train kids to like be wary of I feel that? so. I feel it's because you're getting more and more aware of others and like sure. others' perception of you. And so that becomes a consideration where when you're like three, four, five years old, you don't care what people think of what you do as much. Yeah. <laughs> so you just do your things. And so <clears throat> when you start caring about what people think of what you do, suddenly it becomes much more stressful to really mm. give in to all the things you want to create. So I think that's a big one. And there's definitely, it could be, like something that's purely internal and not really based on reality. The thing is, you also receive a lot of judgment. Like whether mm -hmm. it's from school, when you're at school, whether it's from parents. I've seen some kids that like, create something and the parents being like, ah, that's not really, no, let's do it that different way. But next time you're going to think yeah. twice before you, you build it that way and, and present to your parents because you're like, oh, so I did wrong. <laughs> at the beginning, I don't care. The more you yeah. do it, like, ah, the more I don't want to do it wrong. Because you also don't want to disappoint. So, yeah, I feel definitely that there's, it's an external pressure that you get on yourself. Mm -hmm. And like when we're adults, there's nothing we do. I don't feel we do anything really freely or very little. Like we are, most of us, we always have a thought behind of what will such and such like think about it. And it can be like a small group where it can yeah. be like what everybody's going to think about it. Sometimes it's just like, what will my partner think about it? What will my parents think about it? What will my colleagues think about it? There's always going to be a little, how is this going to be received rather than just yourself? What do you think about it? And sometimes yeah. it's good. It just creates some right, boundaries right. in what you create, but uh, you definitely don't have that much 
let's say agency and like the thing you do uh there's a term that we use in cybersecurity risk appetite where an organization will choose to do something at a certain level of risk based on their risk appetite and it can be things from like big companies wanting to buy a new company is this something that we can afford to be wrong on? and how much are we willing to be wrong if we were to make this merger say we've got the money we can do it and we're at the point yes or no then comes the decision of all those other things that come into it. what will this mean to the rest of our company and if this bombs completely what's going to be the impact on the existing organization the new organization we take that into cybersecurity. you've got all these threats that happen that could happen potentially like how likely are you to be a target like how much do you have to lose how much do you want to spend to protect the things that that you could lose there's this idea you don't want to spend you don't want to have a thousand dollar fence for a hundred dollar horse in the same way you don't have vault doors bank vault doors on your front door mm. right but you do have a deadlock and so there's a certain risk appetite something that we're comfortable doing and in that same way some people in business will have a certain risk appetite i know mine is very low after flying airplanes be like no one's gonna die everything's recoverable mm idea that i've got with life means that i'll make some choices that other people are like we didn't think about like all the possibilities we can just roll it back we don't have that much to mm. lose it doesn't cost anything to do like why don't we try it for some reason i have this picture of a young kid learning to play pool or billiards mm -hmm. and like as yeah as a young kid you get the stick you see the, the cue the yeah you've got the cue stick you see the cue ball and like the other balls on the table and you might be willing to like hit it and look silly and it go nowhere and not hit the right things. But if you don't do that, at some point, you don't learn how to do it, right? And it becomes a lot harder down the line if you're scared of looking silly and you don't know how to do this thing that you feel like other people might judge you being like, oh, you don't know how to do mm -hmm. that yet. That's harder. Mm -hmm. Can we do put people in a situation and build them up and create training and education in a way where they where we can force them to feel less anxious less stressed about making a poor mistake in order to try yeah that's very interesting yeah I, I love the idea of playing like having to play freely in a silly way or freeform way with whatever you're gonna engage with or learn to evacuate that first yeah. just do whatever you want with it and then once yeah. that's done Okay, now it was fun. Don't you want to get a little more in like in depth with it? I think as well, a lot of games do yeah. that too, where you can play a game like mindlessly and just play and play, and, and, and that's fine. You could still get value out of it. But after a while, if sure. you do that, you'll be like, what's the next thing I can do? What's the, how can I get like to that next level? I'm bored of just playing that way. Yeah, you're always looking for a little bit of challenge. And so you can yeah. probably apply in that like natural appetence for challenge, but by giving that like no stake free from play before. Well, that's a little bit of like the Super Mario effect. If you give players unlimited lives and no rewards, they're going to get bored. Mm. But if you've only got three Marios and then like you start over from the beginning, but it, and you get coins along the way and you get stars at the end, then now you, you don't know why. To get more stars and you want to get more coins they're not going to affect your life <laughs> at all but for 
for some reason. Now you're emotionally yeah. invested, and you don't want to lose those Mario's because you earned all these points, coins, and stars. Mm. And now you're interested in getting better at that thing. Why? Yeah, there is a form of pride, right? It's a form of like self <laughs> satisfaction. Like I can do it. I'm able to do this. Yeah. And I'm able to do more. This because as a human being, you want to feel that you're competent at things. If you were, if you feel you're competent at nothing. That's really hard. Like you, you, you want to find some areas where you feel some form of confidence. Yeah. So there's maybe some of that involved too. Yeah. One thing uh, with skill-based training is obviously if you throw someone in the deep end of the pool without any lessons, you're likely to scare them. Their chances of failing are super high. Mm. And so if we put pe- things in people's places, if you put the training and a little bit of the assessment of the training the education at a level where it's a little bit challenging so that they stay engaged but rewarding enough when they complete it and they mm. solve it then they'll want to continue yeah. if they're not challenged they're going to get bored if they're too challenged they're going to be discouraged mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah so that's, there's a lot of like theory learning around that there's like a something called the zone of proximal development by mm-hmm. uh, Zygotsky I hope I get his name right Zygotsky I will yeah. tell Something like that. Sorry, sorry for the ones who <laughs> who care about his name. But basically, it's the idea that you learn best when you are slightly out of your like level of comfort and, and competence. Yeah. And and yeah. you have support. So it's basically if you're in your comfort zone, you're not gonna learn much. If you're too far out, you're not gonna learn much because it's gonna be too stressful and too difficult. Mm-hmm. If you're slightly out, plus you have some support, like some resources or someone to help you, that's where you're gonna learn best. And it also makes me think of the idea of flow. We talked about it with another guest, Chris Bennett, in another episode. It was super interesting because so the idea of the flow is also to have that right level of challenge so that you constantly engage mm-hmm. and eventually you get into that like time and space where you can go like three hours on something, completely forget about everything else and have that yeah. complete immersion. But what was very interesting is that it, he said the problem is that you don't want people to be in the state of flow when learning. It doesn't help to learn Ooh. because when you're okay. in the state of flow, you do things the most like automatically in some ways, and you don't necessarily have that oof, that challenge, that reflection. That and I was like, oh, that's super interesting because I would assume that if you're in that state of flow and yeah. you study, that's great. Like you're gonna learn so much. It was like not necessarily right. because you need to hit those like roadblocks a little bit to really uh-huh. get that element of learning yeah yeah so that yeah interesting interesting i'm thinking of a lot of stuff that we do with work is pretty repetitive i, I don't know that many people feel like they're learning at work which might be indicative of the problem because theoretically if you're doing something repetitively you should be getting better at it right mm-hmm. and that in and of itself is training if in another sense so what is it that takes work and makes it different than training and education obviously a a lecture or a lesson on a specific topic is very different than a day at work but that what we would do with an interactive lesson a lesson that challenges and pushes someone and gets them interested in the subject to become to try to figure it out and solve it on their own Mm. is that something that we could apply in the business world in our day-to-day lives you're right there 
as a program manager, like during a sprint, is there, are there requirements or a, a goal or something that could be passed down to a developer in such a way that they want to solve it, that you employ that Mario it's, and put them right in that, in that challenging where they're interested in doing yeah, it? Yeah. So it makes me think of two things that we are doing. One thing is that in, in that sprint, so basically a sprint. If, if for the ones who don't know, it's a, a time period, for, for example, it's two weeks where you have, you start the sprint with a list of features you want to develop or, or bugs you want to solve. And the goal is to complete that list within the two weeks and then you keep iterating like that. And basically we have multiple engineers in, we have multiple teams and in which each team we have multiple engineers and they are the one picking up which features, bugs, tasks they want to work on during that sprint. And they are encouraged to work on pieces of the product that they don't know as well. So the goal is for them to, is basically telling them, don't work on the one you're comfortable with or the one you worked on in the previous sprint, because then you're not going to learn as much. But go work on this other one. Right. And the person is going to take the task that you worked on before, is going to learn from you. Mm-hmm. It's going to ask you questions. So it, is, it also creates those interactions and co- learning co-teaching yeah. among the team so that's that's a great example and i think another one is also to keep challenging the way things are done so trying to always be like okay we keep working on these new features new extra okay now let's just take a step back look at one of our process one of our systems and say is there a way to improve that and so it again challenges the way things are done and forces yeah. like engineers to think on like new ways that, that things can be done. And that's also part of learning. So I think those are two ways that help to keep that like learning element here. What about, what do you think? What are some ways that we could implement as well that could help to yeah. keep learning? I'm thinking about, I work with a lot of consultants, a lot of clients doing consultancy as well. And yeah, if I could get them to do a little bit more problem solving and guiding them along that, it's something that you want to, do as a consultant don't want to be like do all these things and you'll be like set instead you want to help them problem solve and give them a a new perspective for thinking Mm. maybe having seen multiple like examples of a scenario their business they hopefully they don't run into these problems over and over and over security hopefully they get to a point where they're like i don't know what to do okay it's fine this company have all been through it and i've work to them and help them through it let me guide you through that but it is at the same point if you just give them a, an answer they might be there's room for i don't agree with that. help guide them towards solving it by guiding the the discussion asking them what they care about asking them what outcomes they want asking them like what is working what isn't working in your current scenario like why have you all used uh, your budget towards that like how do your interests in cybersecurity fit with the company's interest in this next go-to-market or with this next product and in that have i solved anything necessarily for them help them figure out a little bit of that that process on their own because i've seen examples and yeah that's what kind of came to mind for yeah me. so just if, like how i would yeah. put it into practice so combine some of the things we've talked about like almost at the beginning around one like being engaged in the in the, in the experience mm-hmm. and and also like yeah. kind of co-designing or co-agreeing on the objective. 
solving mm-hmm. towards that so that the, 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 they are interested in the objective as well and in, in the outcome yeah you bring that back on it's funny a lot of the like how like instructional design theory it often makes me think of dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people yeah a lot of those same principles being interested in the other person getting them to say yes getting them to be your side as not by convincing but by showing them that they're interested anyways it's crazy the the how taking that same idea just turning it a little bit for the scenario it's perfectly here and if you just turn it like that it fits perfectly over here as well yeah it's wild how that how things like that work in our world yeah I, I, one of the things i like about where i'm at in cybersecurity and training because there's so much of that uh, cross correlation mm, no for sure it comes back always um, to getting interested in the other person it, it always comes back to that human connection that's always the key yep. i wonder what would you for all this discussion be thinking about implementing i was thinking about what's a little bit of the the takeaway mm. or what could i use from even this discussion tomorrow <laughs> that's that's a million dollar question <laughs> yeah i know sorry no, that's... it's a lot for a friday night <laughs> that's a good question though you really got me thinking about and i feel like we came into it together like how do we create stories and some of that gamification mm. how can we apply that in some of the typical situations yeah i think definitely like the yeah the story part of the narrative like how do you create a narrative or a story around around some of the things you want to teach or learn because you can also create a narrative for yourself right if you want to learn something you can also apply that to yourself and try to build a narrative for yourself and yeah. that that's very interesting it still feels a little abstract i'm not really sure exactly like how concretely it would look like but yeah yeah but i think there's something there for sure in your own yeah yeah and i think the other thing is that maybe it's like directly applicable is thinking back on that sense of community and 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 social playfulness don't know if that would be the right terms but like with whoever you work with whether it's like colleagues or clients or stakeholders like other stakeholders or students what can you do to build up a little moment when you're going to get to learn about each other more? That's mm-hmm. one. So if it's at the beginning of a meeting, what are you going to do to just create a little moment when someone shares something? Or that, yeah. that moment that in, like, in the building where you're going to make sure like, you stop and talk to someone and get to mm-hmm. know that person at a different level. But also, what can be some symbols or practices or I'm, I'm not sure what the term is but something you can create that that build up that sense of community that you can gather around yeah. it can be it can be an activity that a team does every week it can yeah. be i love that example the again that's in another <laughs> podcast another episode that actually is not out yet but it's going to be out like next week normally with kali yeah. was an amazing like children's tv host and a lot of other things that she does. Yeah. And we were talking about that trend that we've seen on TikTok of the teachers doing like a, an individual check to their students when yeah. they come in class and everyone has a personal mm-hmm. check. Yeah. And that's such a great way to build, just start the day in a very unique, personal, yeah. exciting way. Yeah. So how does that look like if it's at work? How can you have like something personal with each one that... Yeah. Either with each one, 
or for a group that like bring you together yeah. and create that bond and that sense of let's walk yeah. together because we are like a unit in a way. I had a boss who would start every meeting on Monday morning talking about and people liked, but I'm I haven't been a big fan of football for a long time. I grew up in Southern California, so like back before when the Rams were there for the first time and then when they left. <laughs> so I didn't have a football team. And growing up. So it's I like football, I know football, but like on Monday morning it wasn't like I watched eight games the week the night before. And so like it didn't hit mm. with me. It would hit with others. Yeah. I think if we could find ways of just like that personalized handshake as they enter the, the classroom, find ways of engaging each person on their own mm-hmm. level, coming into a meeting, starting a day. If there was a way of doing it in our training, mm-hmm. some way to, oh man, now I want to try to put this into practice. Some way of building it so that it's personable to that exact person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be like as unique as some of those handshakes. I've seen those the videos and the TikToks, something that just makes you go, oh, this is for me. Yeah, like something like very simple, for example, if you're in a meeting with people around the world or like in different places, different cities, could just do a round and say, what's the weather like at your place right now? It's like the most basic because yeah. that's what you would ask anybody. What's the weather like is like the most basic question, but each everyone can say, oh, right now it's raining and right now it's sunny, right? It's just a small thing. It just anchors the day yeah. in being present and sharing a little something about where you are. And that's first thing that comes to mind, but there's a lot of yeah, ways that, that this can be done. Yeah. 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 But that's, I think I, I like that we're thinking about mm-hmm. it. The difference in a lot of folks is that, that I want to spend time talking with are that they stop and think about how can we make this better? How can we do this? Mm-hmm. I, I really love that. And I think it's innate in all of us. Some, sometimes it's, it gets, Way too much other things to work Yeah, no, exactly. Like life happens and it's, <laughs> it gets much harder, yeah. But no, definitely it's such... Yeah. I'm glad we... Yeah, such a wonderful conversation. That we had this to do just that. Yeah, no, totally, <laughs> totally. And it's funny how we we went to so many different topics and subjects and yet there's still a little bit like of that thread through it. And at the end, you're like, okay, you yep. can see this kind of like big points, big topics that encompass the whole thing. Hopefully, inadvertently, we took our <laughs> listeners on a hero's journey. Yeah. But yeah, this has been great. And uh, thank you for spending the time with us. Yeah, me. thank you too. And, and I hope everybody like enjoyed the conversation and, and join the conversation too. If you have some ideas, things you want to share, feel free. Reach out to us. We're on socials. And uh, <laughs> we'd love to know what people want to hear in the yeah, future. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Josh. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Loops and Life Cycles podcast with Josh Mason, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey 